Looking for a fun way to win up to 25 times your money this basketball season? Test your skills on Prize Picks, the most exciting way to play daily fantasy sports. Just select two or more players, pick more or less on their projection for a wide variety of stats, and place your entry. It's as easy as that. If you have the skills, you can turn $10 into $250 with just a few taps. Easy gameplay, quick withdrawals, and injury insurance on your picks are what make Prize Picks the number one daily fantasy sports app. Ready to test your skills? Join the Prize Picks community of more than 7 million players who have already signed up. Right now, Prize Picks will match your first deposit up to $100. Just visit prizepicks.com slash get100 and use code get100. That's code get100 at prizepicks.com slash get100 for a first deposit matchup to $100. Prize Picks, daily fantasy sports made easy. This is the American Veteran Show. Proud to finally say these two words. Welcome home. Dedicated to those who have worn the uniform. Tremendous national asset. Dedicated to our active duty men and women. They came not as conquerors, but as liberators. Dedicated to presenting issues, topics, and interviews highlighting their commitment to our country. I want to thank the courageous men and women who've served their country in uniform. Less than 1% of the population of our country chooses to serve our country in the military. And the other 99% of us, we owe them. Online at AmericanVeteranShow.com. Here's Stephen Tubbs. Welcome to this week's edition of the American Veteran Show. Hope your summer is going great and you're having a great weekend so far. We are honored that every Sunday at noon, so many of you have made this program a habit as we're approaching, well, at the end of the year, can't believe it. We're going to be entering Season 7 of the program as we flip into 2023. But let's not get ahead of ourselves. A terrific program ahead, and we could not deliver it to you without our great presenting sponsor, Attorney John Boson at Boson Law, B-O-E-S-E-N, BosonLaw.com, fighting on behalf of veterans every single day. Their number, 303-999-9999. Straight ahead on the program. A groundbreaking ceremony in Washington, D.C. today, officially starting construction on the first memorial honoring veterans who served during Operation Desert Storm and Operation Desert Shield. That from News Nation. We'll talk about that straight ahead. We also have a couple of segments from a friend of mine personally, as well as a friend to Denver. He has been here. He just delivered the commencement address this past May at the University of Colorado Boulder. Proud alum Tom Costello. He has an interesting piece that he has put together called Battlefield Space. If your building here takes a hit, if you go offline, you roll these trucks. That is absolutely true. We will have that coming up as part of the American Veteran Show this Sunday. And we also will look at what happened this past week, the significant moment underneath the rotunda at the United States Capitol as the casket for the final World War II Medal of Honor recipient. It was a highly respectful event for Herschel Woody Williams, a hero, United States Marine Corps on Iwo Jima. We are glad you're with us, and we will look at the memorial groundbreaking for Desert Storm and Desert Shield in two parts. First, in this segment, and then at the end, we will wrap this program up. First, well, the groundbreaking on Thursday of last week along the mall in Washington, D.C., Well, first, I want to thank 
all the people who have worked hard for this memorial to become a reality. Their vision that could have been done, and then the hard work, the time, the dedication, and oh yeah, the monetary resources, um, made it possible. It's been an important labor, and I personally want to say thank you to everybody. Um, I was a major in 1990 when Iraq invaded Kuwait. I watched it unfold on television at an airport. I was coming back from Fort Hood to Fort Rucker. And within three weeks, I had transferred from my research job to being a flight surgeon with an attack helicopter unit. And we had packed up our helicopters, tents, trucks, and people, and we had landed in Dahran, Saudi Arabia. I thought Texas was hot till then. Um, we then moved out west um, to, on the border between Iraq and Saudi Arabia. And then when the war started, we moved north. On the 27th of February, a call came and asking us to extract an Air Force guy who had been shot down. We were the only people with helicopters within hours of this guy. ANUACs knew he was alive and he had a broken leg. So two Apaches and my Blackhawk went whopping out there to get him. It seemed like a great plan, but it didn't quite turn out as we hoped. No, no plan survives first contact with the enemy, and our first contact was terminal. The, uh, the same unit that shot down this guy shot down my Blackhawk. Five of our crew were killed in that wreck. Three of us were injured and captured. There are a lot of lessons to be learned from the POW experience, and I know it's hot, and we're not going to learn them all today. But perhaps the most important thing, and this is from an individual soldier, is that I never, not for a single minute, did I feel like I was going to be abandoned up there. I had great confidence in the leadership of every, I mean, I had confidence in, in my little battalion commander, the military forces, the military coalition, and the civilians who were leading this thing. I was sure I would not languish in prison for years like the guys in Vietnam. I had absolute confidence if I just stayed alive long enough, someone would come get me. And they did. They came and got me. They came and got the allied prisoners who we were held with. And so here we are. 30 years later, 30 plus years later, and we're going to finally celebrate and memorialize the prosecution of Operations Desert Shield and Desert Storm. And there's one, there's a lot of things, we've heard a lot of things about Desert Storm, but there's one thing that really stands out. It's that it was a demonstration of all the good things that can happen when there's an unambiguous and positive moral mission like liberating Kuwait from a brutal invasion. And along with that great mission was great leadership. We put together a coalition of almost the entire world. I remember going out and, and helping supply a Yemenese, um, um, unit, medical unit. And it didn't matter that we didn't speak the same language. We all needed the same kind of stuff. So despite the diversity of languages, resources, military capabilities, cultures, colors, and, and forms of government, we all came together with a single vision, 
From the privates to the generals, everybody knew what that vision was. We came to liberate Kuwait and restore their government, and everybody believed it was the right thing to do. There's a lot of lessons to that if you're going to prosecute military actions. So I hope this memorial will teach people and remind them that we shouldn't judge the importance of a war by how long it takes or how many people die in it. We should judge the importance of a war on what's at stake and what's accomplished. Certainly for those people who lost their friends and loved ones, it was 100% or nothing. But we should celebrate the success as well. I would have to say that what Desert Storm accomplished was very similar to World War II. There was no doubt who the aggressor was, and there was no doubt what the right thing to do was. It's a shame it took as long as it did, but we did accomplish the mission. And so I'm proud to have been a small part of the Desert Storm story, and I'm proud to be with you here today as we start building this memorial. Thank you. General Rhonda Corum, what an amazing American patriot. And as we go to the break, as we close the first segment this Sunday, once again, underneath the rotunda at the United States Capitol, the body of Herschel Woody Williams lie in state. Such an honor for such an honorable man. Stay with us. The American Veteran Show continues. American Veteran Show. Here's Stephan Tubbs. Glad you were with us on this Sunday. Again, more as to the groundbreaking for the memorial honoring those of you who served in Desert Storm, Desert Shield. We'll have that a bit later on in the program. As mentioned, NBC's Tom Costello taking a look at, well, really some behind the scenes stuff. His piece, Battlefield Space. After decades of Cold War proxy battles between the U.S. and Russia, the battlefield in Ukraine quickly turned into a proving ground for the latest military hardware. 
from high-flying drones that shadow and target Russian tanks to shoulder-fired weapons and advanced missile launchers, many guided by the constellation of 30 U.S. Space Force-operated orbiting GPS satellites. But at the Pentagon, four-star Space Force General David Thompson says Russia has been jamming the GPS signal on the ground in Ukraine, the same signal that the U.S. provides to the world for free. It's that localized ability to jam the signal so that local receivers can't receive the information. Ukrainians unable to access GPS because it's being jammed locally on the ground. That's right. You, Ukrainians may not be able to use GPS because there are jammers around that prevent them from receiving and using the signal effectively. U.S. military sources also claim Russia has launched cyber attacks against the SpaceX Starlink satellites over Ukraine that provide the country with Internet access. Though SpaceX engineers were able to defend against the attack, by rewriting several lines of computer code. And European airlines, first reported by Finnair, accused Russia of jamming the GPS signals along its borders with Finland that civilian airlines rely on. Russia, China, and Europe all have their own GPS satellite networks, but most of the world, including Ukraine and the global economy, depend on the U.S. GPS network, accurate to within a foot and a half. From suburban drivers to international shipping, to farming, to banking, to disaster response, to those Ukrainian military units, the U.S. Space Force is charged with protecting America's GPS network. We were given rare access to this secure command center where they monitor all U.S. GPS satellites for any signs of failure or foreign interference. We're providing position navigation. Major Lauren Taylor directs the operations here. Each satellite actually broadcasts multiple signals, so the civilians get their signal, the military gets their signal. Interestingly, the Russians and the Chinese can use our GPS satellites as well. I bet you they do. You taking that A5 over there? Under U.S. law, the GPS system cannot be turned off to anyone. But military commanders say what's happening in orbit now is even more concerning, accusing both Russia and China of putting weapons in space. It is a truly a warfighting domain. Um, our adversaries are fielding specific weapon systems in the domain, um, so we need to view it as such. And in a dramatic anti-satellite test in November 2021, Russia targeted and blew up one of its own satellites using a ground-based missile, creating a massive orbiting debris field with more than 1,600 pieces. The space station forced to adjust its position to avoid getting hit. Indeed, the space station was threatened, which, by the way, not only have astronauts, it has cosmonauts on it. China conducted a similar test in 2007, creating 3,000 pieces of orbiting debris. I think they're trying to send a message that they could target somebody else's as well. And, uh, and now we have to deal with the aftermath of those, uh, those tests. The Pentagon says Russia has also deployed a nesting satellite that carries an offensive weapon which it has already used to test fire a missile or bullet, very close to a top-secret American spy satellite. They launched a satellite. They launched it into an orbit very close to one of our sensitive national security satellites. They maneuvered around that satellite in what we would call a hazardous and an unsafe and unprofessional manner. Then they backed that satellite off. What they did is that they then released a target. So the satellite 
had a target. They released that target. I would just call it a bullet, basically. It was a projectile. They just fired, a, I'll call it a bullet, from one satellite to the other. And the Russians knew very well that we could observe this. They were also making a very clear statement to us about their intention to, to, to threaten our capabilities. And China has deployed a satellite with a robotic arm and claw that can reach out and grab or damage another satellite. Vice President Kamala Harris at Vandenberg Space Force Base in April. These weapons are intended to deny the United States our ability to use our space capabilities by disrupting, destroying our satellites. Line down. Copy line down. Keeping watch over America's military and spy satellites is the top priority at this classified Space Force Ops Center in Colorado. More than 70% of military satellite communications come through here. Everything from nuclear command and control orders to presidential communications, down to a Coast Guard cutter, a submarine, even tactical units on the ground. Lieutenant Christine Kovac's job is to keep an eagle eye on those satellites. If they don't have the communications when they need it, things can go seriously wrong. So we're here providing that perfect, reliable communication. How vulnerable are American satellites? The Pentagon says China's space program is now outpacing the U.S. with more than 60 launches in 2022. Building a remote robotic post on the far side of the moon, invisible to U.S. satellites. And U.S. generals worry Beijing could soon deploy satellites and offensive weapons in the space between the moon and Earth, an area called cis-lunar, invisible to U.S. satellites. We need to understand both in the, the lunar space and the space between the Earth and the moon. What are they doing? Why are they doing it? Does it pose a potential threat to our interests? A military spacecraft in a very well uh, designed trajectory can enable space situational awareness. Physicist Cameo Lance says a spacecraft in cis lunar space could have strategic superiority. Can enable a person or entity to be in a location which you have an advantage. It's a big reason why Space Force has bipartisan support in Congress and a growing budget. We have to remember. We are not weaponizing space. Space has already been weaponized by China and Russia. We have to be able to defend our assets, and, uh, and we've got to be more aggressive in doing so. In the coming years, the U.S. is preparing to launch a satellite to Cislunar to monitor Chinese activity. And commercial satellite operators are expected to add their satellite eyes to the Cislunar space domain, hoping to gain the high ground or first mover advantage. All of the activity that's happening on the moon has to go through cislunar space. So the ability to have a spacecraft in the cislunar domain enables the U.S. the first mover advantage for owning the cislunar environment. On Earth, there are clear rules of the sea laid out over centuries, like this incident in 2020, when a Russian warship threatened to ram a U.S. destroyer in a rare naval standoff in the Sea of Japan. Russia claiming the U.S. was operating illegally in its territorial waters. The U.S. Navy saying the destroyer was operating in international waters. But there are very few rules in space. How do you determine what is a hostile act in space? We're working through that now. We don't have that history like we do in the other domains to build upon. And so as we're encountering these, um, these threatening activities for the first time, it's forcing us to really define these terms. 
When we come back, the Biden administration says the U.S. will not play by the same rules in space that Russia and China are playing by. Simply put, these tests are dangerous, and we will not conduct them. And liftoff. For decades, the U.S. Air Force and its Space Command have been responsible for launching America's spy and military satellites. ASAT launch from Greek Whiskey Charlie 6. Our copy. Copy. ASAT launch. Initiating threat reaction. But in 2019, with more countries competing in low Earth orbit, the White House and Congress consolidated those responsibilities under a brand new Space Force. American leadership in space is more important than it ever has been. Signed into law by President Trump with a Delta symbol borrowed from the earliest days of the Air Force. Scotty, stop all engines. And perhaps a little Star Trek, too. Space Force was quickly lampooned by a Steve Carell comedy on Netflix. The president is creating a new branch, Space Force, which Mark will run. What? But within the military, it's a response to a very real threat. Space Force is the newest branch of the military underneath the Department of the Air Force. This is the Space Force corridor at the Pentagon, where the focus 24-7 is in protecting U.S. assets and interests beyond the Earth. NBC's Tom Costello with his feature, Battlefield Space, will continue when we come back on The American Veteran Show, AmericanVeteranShow.com. Welcome back to The American Veteran Show. We continue now with Stephan Tubbs. We continue this Sunday. Hope your summer is going great, as I mentioned before, and hopefully you will stick around. Of course, the Frontier Freedom Hour comes up right after the American Veteran Show. We pick up now with part two of Tom Costello with NBC, his feature on Battlefield Space. This is the Space Force Corridor at the Pentagon, where the focus 24-7 is in protecting U.S. assets and interests beyond the Earth, from low Earth orbit to the moon and beyond. As the Navy has sailors and the Army has soldiers, Space Force has guardians, a force of just 14,000 now, with many of the senior officers holding STEM-related master's degrees and PhDs. So we talk about how the warfighters impacted by the space environment. The culture, a mix of military and Silicon Valley, more Apple than Air Force, problem-solving high-tech issues orbiting 220 miles above the Earth. We're small, lean, and agile on purpose. Um, and so we don't have the time to wait for something to go through five, six la- layers of, of, uh, of, of communication chain to get to us. And side by side in command centers and classrooms, America's closest allies. We are always stronger together. We will continue to be stronger together. And I think that is always going to be a challenge for any adversary we encounter. Like it or not, the reality is the battlefield is changing from planet Earth to space. This is the view of the Asian Pacific Theater. And the threat matrix in space is very different. It's congested, it's contested, and it's competitive. Just as Russian and U.S. submarines shadow each other in the oceans, a similar game is playing out in space. But how should the U.S. respond with Russia and China testing offensive weapons in space, blowing up their own satellites? In December 2021, astronauts on the space station had to shelter in an escape capsule in case the station was hit by debris from the Russian test. The fear, each exploding satellite could take out another 10 satellites and each of those another 10, quickly cascading and wiping out the very satellites the world's economies depend on. These tests 
to be sure, are reckless and they are irresponsible. In a major policy announcement in April 2022, Vice President Harris called for a global moratorium on anti-satellite tests. Simply put, these tests are dangerous and we will not conduct them. No, that was just silly. Republican Mike Rogers is the ranking member on the House Armed Services Committee. China and Russia couldn't care less what our stated policy is uh, with regard to things like that. We need to be working on real policy that provides defensive capabilities to protect our satellites from their offensive uh, endeavors. Space Force commanders say all U.S. satellites, military and commercial, are already targeted by Russia and China with cyber probes, signal jamming and laser dazzling. The hope the more satellites the U.S. puts in orbit, the less effective a single attack would be. I'm of the opinion that as long as the United States continues on its path of um, owning the space domain and creating technologies that, that help us to maintain a commercial edge, I don't think um, a conflict will happen. But military and civilian space experts warn China is now outpacing the U.S. in launches and modernizing its own space capabilities building a remote robotic post on the far side of the moon, now invisible to U.S. satellites. And China could one day deploy satellites to cis-lunar, that vast area of space between the moon and Earth. In response, the U.S. is planning to launch its own satellites to monitor both areas. But does the U.S. also have satellite-based weapons? Does the United States have offensive capabilities in space already? Yeah, so I'm not going to talk about what capabilities we may have or not have, Um, uh, I will definitely say that what the Chinese and the Russians have done um, are irresponsible and, and frankly, do not help in terms of use of the domain. But many in the military and Congress believe it's time to declassify some of America's offensive capabilities in space. I also would like for our adversaries to know what we can do. There are some things that we can do that I think would help chill their enthusiasm for aggression if they knew more about our capabilities. More than 50 years since Neil Armstrong and Buzz Aldrin first landed on the moon in 1969. But the U.N. treaty does not prohibit non-nuclear weapons. Today, NASA's budget for science and exploration is $24 billion. Space Force, the brand new branch of the military, now has an $18 billion budget, a fraction of the budgets for the Army, Navy, and Air Force. We can't have open warfare. We can't, we've got to, def, we've got to discipline ourselves. Charlie Bolden was a Marine Corps pilot, general, and astronaut before becoming the head of NASA under President Obama so that we don't make this potential warfighting domain a real warfighting domain. A lot of these dreams that we have about exploration and humanity going to places beyond low Earth orbit, they're never going to become true. Meanwhile, in a dark simulator room at the nearby Air Force Academy, following good hits, dead man. America's next generation of fighter pilots is in the cockpit. But the Academy's future officers have a choice to make. They can stick with a career as airmen, or apply to become a guardian with the brand new Space Force, where the focus shifts from flying fighter jets to driving satellites.
Satellites come in all sizes, from a school bus to a dishwasher to a cooler to the size of a loaf of bread, providing everything from Internet access to university experiments, GPS, and military communications. We know this is a major threat. Master Sergeant Bonnie Roshin is one of only four NCOs teaching at the academy. So in here, what we can do is we can spoof, we can jam, we can take offline or degrade all of our space capabilities. Satellites. Satellite, yes, those satellite assets. We can take down their GPS, their communications, their data. They've got the flag up now, and you can see the stars and stripes. And contrary to the message that Neil Armstrong read, attached to the Apollo 11 lunar lander and still sitting on the moon. Airman from the planet Earth, first step foot upon the moon, July 1969, AD. He came in peace for all mankind. Sadly, history shows conflict often follows human exploration. In April, Russian cosmonauts on the space station unfolded a replica Soviet-era victory banner during a spacewalk, a not very subtle reminder of the Cold War. The head of the Russian space agency, Dmitry Rogozin, a close Putin ally, threatened to start working with the Chinese on their space station and end Russia's cooperation on the international station. After the U.S. imposed sanctions on high-tech exports to Russia in the wake of the Ukrainian invasion, Rogozin even warned that Moscow could stop providing critical rocket propulsion that keeps the station in orbit, allowing the station to fall back to Earth. To which SpaceX founder Elon Musk replied in a tweet, SpaceX could provide the needed lift. American astronaut Mark Vandehei was on the station when Rogozin made his threats, but then safely returned to Earth on a Soyuz space capsule. Touchdown. Even with all the kind of crazy stories that were coming down about my ability or inability to return to Earth, I just never took those seriously enough. I knew the people I, I was flying with. I was very confident in the people that I have relationship with, with in the Russian space program that I was going to be well taken care of. The head of NASA says he is not concerned. Despite a war going on in Ukraine, I see that professional relationship with astronauts and cosmonauts and the ground teams in the two respective mission controls. I see that continuing. Is military conflict in space inevitable? I would say absolutely not. Absolutely not. We have the ability, just like we do in other domains with other weapon systems, um, with other activities, we have the ability not to come to conflict in space. I think if we ever allow ourselves to get to the point that we feel we need boots on the moon to protect some assets, to protect an American flag or, a, or an Apollo landing site, a historic landmark, we're in trouble. We want the moon to be a peaceful place. We want space to be peaceful. And the concern is now it's becoming a potential battle zone. We do not want there to be war in space. We do not want there to be conflict. We want all of mankind to enjoy its benefits. But if Russia and China or other actors are going to seek to undermine our capabilities in space, we're going to be ready for that. And so uh, that is why we've created a space force in the United States Space Command. With war raging in Ukraine and Moscow demonstrating its determination to break the post-World War II order, conflict in space doesn't seem as remote as it once did. From NBC's Tom Costello, his feature, Battlefield Space. We'll wrap up the program with a groundbreaking in Washington, D.C., honoring veterans from Desert Storm and Desert Shield. That comes up as we conclude the American Veteran Show right here. Stay with us, AmericanVeteranShow.com. This is the American Veteran Show, online at AmericanVeteranShow.com. Here's Stephan Tubbs. 
We wrap up this week's edition of the American Veteran Show. Thank you for your time, of course. And we're going to touch on a couple of issues that we have discussed earlier in this program. And we will wrap up with the lying in state of the casket and the body of an American hero, United States Marine hero on Iwo Jima, Herschel Woody Williams from Virginia. He died just a little more than two weeks ago and his body lie in state underneath the rotunda at the United States Capitol just this past week. First, though, more on the groundbreaking along the mall in Washington, D.C., to honor those of you who gave it all in Desert Storm and Desert Shield. A groundbreaking ceremony in Washington, D.C. today, officially starting construction on the first memorial honoring veterans who served during Operation Desert Storm and Operation Desert Shield. The memorial will commemorate the mission and sacrifice of those who fought on the Arabian Peninsula. It's scheduled to open around Veterans Day in 2024. Joining us now to discuss the significance of this groundbreaking is Scott Stump, president and CEO of the National Desert Storm War Memorial Association. He's also a retired Marine who served during the war. Scott, we thank you so much for speaking with us today. Thank you. Uh, Scott, talk about how important this memorial is for you and for those who served. Well, I think it's very important because, um, you know, number one, it's been 30-some years. And I think to another degree, uh, this event, this war, um, has tended to be uh, overlooked and, and more of a victim of its success. So we feel that this take is going to, to help um, put things in perspective, tell the story, and basically put um, Operation Desert Shield and Desert Storm uh, in proper historical perspective for future generations. You know, Scott, you mentioned the amount of time that has passed. Are, are you surprised that it took more than three decades to make this memorial a reality? Well, I did when I started this. At this point, I'm not because it's it's a very, very um, uh, in-depth and it's a very complicated process. Uh, and, I, and I just think that it takes the right combination of, of, of people and the team uh, willing to um, weather uh, and endure this, this complicated process to get, get this done. And Scott, as we mentioned, you, you know, you served. Can you talk to us about maybe one of, of, of the, the memories that really rings and is true to you and really stays with you after all this time? Well, you know, there are many, as, as everybody has their own story. But I would say one was when we uh, returned home, you know, nobody would have ever imagined that this this would have been over as quickly as it was and, and would have been as successful to the degree it was. But, you know, on returning home, um, you know, just the reception. I mean, this was very therapeutic and healing. Yeah, that is Scott Stump. We, we certainly thank Scott and we thank him for his service. That from News Nation. And on behalf of everyone connected with the American Veteran Show, we specifically salute those of you who served in Desert Storm and Desert Shield. And we wrap up the program paying tribute once again to the final Medal of Honor recipient of World War II, Herschel Woody Williams, his body lie in state last week under the Capitol, Rotunda. Ladies and gentlemen, please remain standing for the invocation delivered by House Chaplain Dr. Margaret Grun-Kibben. Would you pray with me? Eternal God, we pause to orient ourselves to you in this moment that we would acknowledge that by your grace you set among us humble heroes who would distinguish themselves in every clime and place 
with their selfless and noble acts of courage. Thank you for the life and legacy of Chief Warrant Officer Herschel Woody Williams, whose example of devotion to service beyond self was extraordinary. May this ceremony in this Hall of American Pride serve to honor him suitably for his conspicuous gallantry and intrepidity. The accounts of Chief Warrant Officer Williams' unyielding determination and courage clearly reflect an esprit de corps that ran deep within Woody's being. As the flag unfurled on Suribachi, Woody Williams, a true Marine, never lost his nerve as he fought for right and freedom, his honor clean, his purpose noble. So may our tribute prove worthy of the valor and grit so reminiscent of his time, the greatest generation. And may our lives be inspired to pick up the mantle to serve as Woody served, ever mindful ever faithful to his fellow Marines, military families, and veterans who even today dedicate their lives to preserve the precious gift of freedom we each enjoy. Receive then this Marine, O God, into your keeping. May this good and faithful servant stand guard at heaven's gates, rewarded with your own well done. In the name of the one who is always faithful, we pray. Amen. Please be seated. Ladies and gentlemen, the Honorable Mitch McConnell, Republican Leader of the United States Senate. It was October 5th, 1945, when President Harry Truman presented the Congressional Medal of Honor to 14 heroes, including the valiant patriot who now lies before us. In his remarks that day, President Truman said, we fought a good fight. We've won two great victories. We're facing another fight, and we must win the victory in that. <clears throat> President Truman knew that America's work was not finished, even after winning the Second World War. And likewise, Corporal Woody Williams, even after demonstrating the stunning heroism that earned him our nation's very highest honor, knew that his own work was not finished either, that perhaps his greatest deeds still lay ahead. The thing that drew a farm boy from West Virginia to a lifetime of patriotic service could best be described as a gravitational pull. The Marine Corps' initial skepticism at Woody's short statue could not deter him. His stint with Western Union, delivering the painful news that created Gold Star families, could not dissuade him. And even his improbable safe return from dangerous combat couldn't convince him that he had actually done enough. Woody knew that true gratitude for our nation's service members ran even deeper than medals. He made giving back a lifelong mission, giving back to his brothers in arms, 
giving back to generations of servicemen and women who followed in their footsteps, and especially giving back to the families of the fallen who never got to welcome their loved ones happily home. I was lucky enough to meet Woody and share a stage with his mission to honor and support Gold Star families unveiled a special memorial in Owensboro, Kentucky. By that point, he'd been giving back to his beloved country and those who defended it for 77 years. So needless to say, Woody's service leaves us a rich legacy. His valor in combat is enshrined aboard the USS Herschel Williams and at the Herschel Williams Armed Forces Reserve Center. His commitment to his fellow veterans inspires caregivers at the Woody Williams VA Medical Center. And his namesake foundation continues its work to honor the sacrifices of families left behind. Our nation was richly blessed by the life of Woody Williams, and we trust he now rests with his father, from whom all blessings flow. Rest in peace, Woody Williams. All of our Medal of Honor recipients, we have the utmost respect, living or those who have passed. That wraps up this week's edition. We'll come back with a brand new episode next week. Stay tuned for the Frontier Freedom Hour. For producer Michael Arpaio, I'm Stephen Tubbs. Have a terrific week ahead. Join us on our regular program Monday through Friday, 3 to 7 p.m. Mountain Time, right here on 710 KNUS. Have a great week, and remember our troops. The American Veterans Show is a copyrighted production of Mountain Time Media Group, LLC. All rights reserved. For more information, visit AmericanVeteransShow.com. Join us next week for another edition of The American Veteran Show. The United States Border Patrol has exciting and rewarding career opportunities with the nation's largest law enforcement organization. Earn great pay, outstanding federal benefits, and up to $20,000 in recruitment incentives. Learn more online at cbp.gov careers usbp.